Matthew chapter 25, verse 34 to 40. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, will answer him, saying, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I first started serving here as a pastor in training. There's no English word for this translation, so I do my best saying pastor in training 10 years ago. And I remember getting instructions from the senior pastor of Pilgrim Church, Reverend Yang, that he wanted to introduce me as the new pastor to the church. So I said, oh, that's, that's great. I didn't know I had to go through all three services so I went through all three services where he said, this is our new pastor, Eugene, who's going to be serving. And I would just bow. And then I would sit back down. That was it. So I did that for all three services, and that didn't include the youth service. And a lot of you here, many of you, um, were with me uh, when I started out as a youth pastor, and you were youth members. Um, but I didn't start out as a youth pastor. We had someone better. Uh, but Pilgrim already had a youth pastor, so Pilgrim offered me a position as an Awana pastor. Many of you may not know what Awana is, but it's spelled A-W-A-N-A. And it's a children's ministry that very much resembles the Boy Scouts with intense Bible memorization. That's the best way I can explain it. When parents come up to me, like, so you're the new Awana pastor. And I would say, yes, I am. It's like, what is Awana? And I was like, let me Google this. Um, I didn't know either when I first came. But that was the best way I could explain it to them. Uh, you play games. You win prizes. It was a lot of fun. Um, and like many of you, I ne never heard of Awana before coming to Pilgrim Church. I honestly, when I first heard it, thought it was this obscure children's program that only like Midwestern churches did or something like that. I didn't know it was such a huge global success. Um, when my first, I think, three or four months here, I had two friends from Hawaii visit me and I took them out to the city to eat. Uh, they asked why I wasn't enjoying Hawaii life with them. And then I said, I, I don't know, why? that's crazy, why, why don't I? But I told them honestly, it's because I was called to be a pastor. And um, they said, what kind of pastor are you? And I said, it's, uh, I don't know if you know, but it's a, and I did my whole spiel, it's a children's program like Boy Scouts with intense Bible memorization, and it's called Awana, 
And then the two of them stopped and they started singing, Firmly Awana stands, led by the Lord's commands. Uh, they, no, they sang the whole song in the restaurant where I was, and I was so embarrassed. Number one, because as the Awana pastor, I didn't even know the song. I was like, what is this song they're singing? And number two, they were singing very loudly. And so um, we were in the Upper West Side enjoying a meal in a restaurant and they were singing this song. They were so psyched because they knew what Awana was. And, and I was like, wow, you know what Awana is? And they was like, yeah, it's the best. And then I came here super psyched to lead Awana as a pastor. And um, I think the program still goes on today, which, um, um, which is great. And so from 10 years ago, I've moved on from various positions as a pastor. And I'll admit to you right now, being completely frank, some pastoral peers were a little envious of my moves because I went from zero to negative three. No, I actually, um, and you know, my beginning was important, and I just wanted to, to say the beginning is important. The beginning is important. It's memorable. Many of you have been with me from the very beginning. Some of you were here longer than me, before me, before we even had this building. Some of you after, but still stayed. And just as the beginning is important, I would like to share with you that the end is just as important, if not more so. The end is just as important, if not more so. And when we look at the passage today, it starts off by saying, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's the second coming. That's literally the end of the line. All the stuff that we've been doing and working on, the, if, that's when we'll be tested to see if we're up to snuff. And that's when people will know whether we're going to heaven or hell. And when people, this is a famous passage, and people, when people initially see this, they picture Jesus saying, boom, I'm here, suckers. And then uh, and everybody else now has to stand on the line. So he's like this uh, super OG, and he's, everybody else stands on the line, and then he's going to go up to them and be like, you go here, I'm going to push you guys here, you go bye-bye, and you go hello. Like, like that's basically the picture that they see. And what is that test? That test, when we read it, and I'm telling you, initial, initial first reactions that you may see is also what a lot of people still see. And it's just being philanthropic. It's just being nice and kind and giving to the poor and the needy. That is the test. And at first glance, it may look like that. But is that the test? Is that the test whether you will go to heaven or hell? And I'm going to say no. Because you might, you might say and use this passage to think, hey, I give to the poor once a month. What was that? From the ad on TV, the $19 a month thing. I do that, so I'm pretty good. And then I would go again, I would say that actually goes against everything in the Bible. I don't care if it's $19 a month, $30 a month, or $3 million a month, that is not the test. 
Because we cannot use this passage as a standalone text. Meaning you can't think that this text is above all other texts as long as you do this one thing and then you don't need to concern yourself with any other thing or any other text in the Bible. That's not how we read the Bible. That's not how anybody should read the Bible. So let's look. Right above this passage of where he is saying you need to feed the poor, clothe the clothe the naked, you know, give water to the thirsty, visit those that are in jail. Right before he says that, there is a parable. And right above this passage, the parable is of the ten talents or um, the, coin, the parable of talents. And, um, and above that is the parable of the ten virgins. Um, this is absolutely correlated to the passage that we read today. In fact, Jesus talks of, starts talking about this theme of the end from the chapter before. So when Jesus is talking about end times, the parable of talents is also about end times. We have to recognize this. Because look how each parable ends. And if you look at it, not now, but later, um, it ends like this. Watch, because you don't know the day or hour. Um, next one, next parable is, and they cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the parable of the talents. And I would say there is a permeating theme throughout the text. And that's watch out, watch out, it's not what you think it is. Watch out, it's not what you think it is. That would at least prompt you to think, hey, maybe I shouldn't listen to Jesus' words right now casually. If I'm going to put on my thinking caps for anything, I better do it for this. When I was a kid, I loved, I loved it when my teacher said, all right, everybody, let's put on your thinking caps and when I was a kid, I literally did this. I went, <laughs> and I tied it. And I didn't know that was such a nerd thing to do because I didn't, I didn't care about anybody else. I'm putting on my thinking cap. Two plus two is four. Boom, in your face, that kind of thing. And <clears throat> if we're going to put on our thinking caps for anything, it better be for this. In every single parable, Jesus is saying, I'm going, it's going to surprise you because no one knows the day or hour. I've heard that some people think that means you know the year. Um, so when Jesus goes, no one knows the day or hour, I guess he didn't say year. Uh, I think you're li missing a little bit of the spirit of Jesus' words when he goes, watch out because you didn't know the day or hour. And your response is, I guess I got to figure out the year. I'm going to put my hat into the ring on this one. I'm going to bet 1999. And whatever the case is, I am saying that you've missed the point then. If you continue to read that whole thing, it's about watch out, be alert. There is something that you need to pay attention to. And Jesus says it at the end of chapter 24, which is that no one knows the hour or day. And then he says, who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There is something that Jesus is looking forward to. There is something that Jesus wants. And that something 
is what we have to pay attention to, especially in these last times. Our passage starts out today by saying he will sit on his glorious throne. That means there is going to be a party. There's going to be a party, and it's not yours. There's going to be a party, and it's not yours. It's his party. He's the one sitting on this glorious throne. It's not a throne of iron. It's not a throne of judgment. He's talking about glorious throne where there's all these connotations to it. And just like the ten virgins or the servants with the talents, we prepare gifts to whom the party is for. That's important to know. My family and I, um, at least one sign of it, we don't see each other all year. And so when we do see each other, it's uh, in Christmas and New Year's. So we see in Thanksgiving. So we see, see each other like three times in the span of two months and then we're done for another like 10 months. So there's this one part of my family where we do this. And because we don't see each other, what we've decided to do is we decided to have a wish list for people to get us gifts. If you're going to get us gifts, might as well get gifts that we want, you know? And so uh, we signed up for this uh, thing online called Elfster. Elfster, some of you may know, um, but we have all these wish lists now that we can click on the other person and be like, oh, I definitely want to get this person's wish list and this one. So how do you know? It's important. How do you know what to get someone if you need to bring them a gift? Well, I think there's two ways. Number one is you spend time with that person. You spend time with that person, you get to know them, and figure it out. Number two, they tell you, like Elfster, or a wish list. Jesus has a wish list per se, and I would say this is the most important wish list of them all. And I would say this wish list may seem simple, but it takes work. And when you look at all these parables above, people start picking it out. You know when you read the story, you're like, well, I don't really like this. And then people saw the parable of the, the ten virgins. Five of them had prepared oil, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And um, five of them didn't prepare, but they were waiting for the bridegroom to come too. And then throughout the night, the bridegroom didn't come, and so the more and more oil for the lamps that they needed to make sure that they didn't like die or something um, was being used. But the five that didn't prepare, their oil ran out quickly. So they turned to the ones that were prepared and said, hey, can you lend us some oil? To which the five that were prepared turned to them and said, there isn't enough for both of us. You should go back and get oil in the town, right? So that's basically it. And the end of the story is the bridegroom comes when those other five are getting their own oil because they weren't prepared. And as a kid, I thought, that's cold. Why don't they just share that oil? You know, you could just be like, yeah, yeah, here, here's some oil. It's very simple. It doesn't seem very biblical to me. And that's kind of crazy that we would say that. It's actually biblical because it's in the Bible. But we would say, oh, it doesn't seem like it's right to me. They didn't share. And then what about then you bring that spirit into the, the parable of the talents. Five, there was one person that had five talents and he worked hard. 
and he made five into ten. Two, the servant that had two made into four. And the one, the servant with one, just buried it in the ground. And when he got it, the master comes and he goes, all right, let's have an accounting. And the five shows him five, two shows him two more. One just says, here's the one I dug up. And Jesus goes, you're going to hell. And you might be like, that's rough. Why didn't the guy with the extra five just give him one more? Then he would have been good. So you start thinking in that process. But when you start thinking in that, in that line, you totally miss the point. We totally miss the point, and the whole point of the parable eludes us, and our hearts become hardened and bitter to what Jesus has to say. That's a danger to us. No matter what happens to us, that's why my prayer is don't harden your heart. Whether we worship here, whether we have to worship outside in the rain, wherever God send us, sends us, we are supposed to say, you gave us this, we will make more. Not harden your heart and say, I'm going to bury this because God's cruel. Because there is an accounting that happens at the end. The whole point is there is an attitude. There is a heart that Jesus is looking at. Because instead of us being online social justice warriors who hashtag shame anyone who doesn't come in line with my views because I believe they're right, he is saying you take care of those around you as you are given the opportunity. You take care of those that are around you as you are given the opportunity. If we want to truly be able to understand and interpret the Bible, the way we do it is we take the Bible to interpret the Bible. We take the leading of the Holy Spirit to show us how the Bible is actually one cohesive letter that's given to his people, the word of God, infallible and inerrant, true for all eternity, teaching his people from time and time and time again. In Galatians 6.10, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I'm going to say that again. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I've met some people that have been so hurt by the church, and I feel a little bad because when they share it, they're sharing it because they know I'm a pastor. So, like, it's kind of your fault. It's like, all right, I have to wear some of that. Um, I get it. And now I'm, I'm sad too. And then their response is, the church is so messed up. How can the church do this to other church members? How can they do these things and call themselves Christian? You know what? I am more blessed with non-Christians. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go out and I'm going to feed homeless people. I'm going to just teach uh, disenfranchised city kids. I'm going to do all these. I, I, I actually do. This is a true story. I meet people like that. And not just one or two. And when you hear that, uh, I can't help but to feel really sad. Really sad. Because we said in the beginning, before I said any of this, what's most important is the heart. 
If the heart is full of bitterness, then what are we sowing? Whether we're doing social justice or whether we're feeding the poor, whether we're doing these outward activities, what is it that we're giving? When we give literally physical things, we don't just say, here's $5. When we do that, we actually believe that we're also giving our heart. The spirit is attached to it. And if our heart is filled with bitterness and anger and dismay and complaints, then that is also what is being attached to that. And that's why I'm saying it is dangerous. I'm glad you're trying to help, brother. I am encouraged by your life, sister. But if your heart is full of bitterness, then what you are giving away ultimately won't do good. It'll do more harm. I guarantee it. Look at our history. Look at the past. People hate capitalism, so they went into socialism. But socialism, capitalism, whatever kind of economic system you have, when you don't have the heart of Christ, it turns to oppression. It just does. And we're still worried about the methodology, the economics of it all, when Jesus is talking about the heart in every single passage. Where's your heart? Where's your attitude? And if we have the right attitude, then the way we see it is we see that there is absolute truth in Galatians 6.10. There's absolute truth when Jesus goes, when you did these things for the least of these, my brothers, it makes sense. It starts to make sense. Uh, I've been sharing a lot these days about how um, in our generation, we have so much knowledge. And it's great. You know what? I want to know something. I just whip up my smartphone and Google it. I could give you a statistic right now, and you could be like, I don't know if that's true. And you could literally check it out in your phone. I could be like, 44% of people here are Asian American. And you could be like, I'm going to Google it. No, don't, because you could literally look around, and that's not true. It's like 99.2. I don't know. Uh, but you can Google it. But what eludes our generation it's not knowledge. It's wisdom. We don't know how to apply the knowledge that we have to make life better. We could have the smartest, fastest phones in the world, and yet lives can still be miserable. Maybe more. We could have more money than anybody has ever had, and yet we could be bitter that someone has an unproportionate amount more and just be bitter about that. And that's what drives our actions, our words, what we type on social media, what pictures we take. So what we need to really see is when we do things, as Christians, we pray, God, give us your wisdom. There is, in fact, wisdom of the world. That's not good. It falls short. Give me your wisdom. And here it says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And there is wisdom to be attained from that. And I've been sharing it, but there is, there's a lot of wisdom that we see in the world, and we should see that as connected. When we go on a plane, and you see that video about safety that no one wants to watch, but you're forced to watch it, and you're seeing it, and there's you know, the flight attendant doing their thing, um, and then you see if there is an accident, if there's danger, oxygen masks will drop 
from the top compartments. And they urge you, put on your mask first before you help even your child, before you help others. There's wisdom in that because people have tried. Oh my goodness, the person that I, I love is dying of inhaling poisonous smoke and air. So let me try to put on their mask while I have zero oxygen to work with. And they both die in the process. So the deep wisdom is you should put on the mask yourself as much as you want to help the person next to you. But because you want to help the person next to you, shouldn't you put on your mask first? That's the wisdom. And here in Galatians 6.10, and what Jesus is saying about helping out my brothers is exactly that. Let us do good to all people, yes, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. We have to check ourselves. You know, we think, oh man, it's about us going out to the poor, which we do, which we do. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying we, we're not doing that. We do homeless ministry. Uh, we do um, elderly ministry. We go out, do missions in the world. It's something that we can be proud of, but I don't think we should be proud of that. But we could do all these things and we get to know these people. You know, when you go to these far off distant places or this extreme part of a neighborhood or town, you get to know these people. But I want to challenge you in this. If you understand the wisdom that this passage is teaching us, look at the person in front of you, next to you, behind you. Do you know them as much or better? Do you know their needs? Do you know what they're suffering from? Do you have what it takes to supply them and help them? If we want to recognize, look, this is a season that we say it's a Christmas season. And we've been doing this series, and this is the final sermon of this series. Um, it's not your birthday. Then whose birthday is it? We have to recognize, number one, it's Jesus' birthday. And number two, he has a wish list. And he's saying, take care of my brethren. Take care of my brothers. Take care of those that are right next to you here. What is Jesus' wish list? Then if we take all these things together, and I would say this is Jesus' wish list. Make disciples and take care of them. Make disciples and take care of them. That should be our church's mantra. That should be the the one-liner that we cannot forget. If we go to any party, and this is something that I've humbly learned throughout the years of just living. When I visit someone, when someone opens up their house, I used to just go like, oh, I just got a new place, or I would like to cook you dinner, whatever it is. I would just go and be like, hey, I'm here. Thanks for making me dinner. But then I've learned throughout my years, wow, people actually bring something. Oh, it's called a housewarming gift. And then you bring something. Uh, you bring something that they might need or something that they want because they're their host. They're hosting you. And so this is something that you do. When we go to a party and it's not our party, we bring a gift. These are the things that you naturally do. It shows you the heart that you have. Ultimately shows you the heart that you have. I've actually been thinking about this party a lot. This is the party of the century. This is the party of 1999. This is the party. And I am so stoked. I'm psyched. I'm ready for it. 
I'm hyped, whatever you want to call it, I'm ready, let's go. And then you're like, I'll bring this gift. Let me go. That's the attitude that we should have. Where are we headed? We are headed for a party. It's going to be incredible. And it's hosted by Jesus. And it's something to get psyched about. It's something to get excited about. It's something to see like, whoa, this is amazing. And so what is it that he has on his wish list? I think this is it. It's to make disciples and take care of them. This is not something that, you know what? You can put on a Hallmark card. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think this is something that is as romantic as some people might want it to be, but I think it's incredibly important that we get this before we move anywhere else. Make disciples, take care of them. The challenge may seem simple, but it's not easy. Who is it in front of you? Who is it behind you? Who is it next to you? Do you know them? Do you love them? Do you take care of them? And as you do, you'll recognize something. The truths of the Bible start coming together and they all start making sense. We start seeing this truly is the body of Christ as we take care of one another. We are taking care of the body of Christ. Jesus literally goes, you actually fed me, clothed me, you know, gave me something to drink as we are feeding, clothing, and giving something to drink, visiting people in jail to the body of Christ. And so this is something that I hope that we get as we move forward. Um, it hasn't been easy for me, I'll be honest. This is a learning process for myself. You know, there are times when I recognize that with what I've been given, with talents or position or, you know, influence, I have not sometimes served humbly. I have used it unknowingly, maybe, but still to hurt somebody. And this is a growing process for me too. That's why I'm saying, let's do this together. And let's see that, oh my goodness, this is something that we have to do together. We can't do it alone. You can't do church alone. You can't do body of Christ alone. You do it together. And as the body gets stronger, I guarantee that we will be able to put masks on other people around us that are suffering. And this is my hope and dream for CGS that we will get stronger so that we can help others as we get ready for this incredible party that's gonna happen. And I honestly think when Jesus does separate you know, from his left and from his right, the sheep and the goats, when he separates it, the goats didn't even really wanna go. Let's be honest here. If you knew that someone amazing was coming, wouldn't you prepare, wouldn't you dress nicely? Wouldn't you make sure you have enough cash in your wallet so that you can take that, you know, cab, these days at least, you know, enough credit in your debit card so you can Uber it, whatever the case is. Wouldn't you be prepared? And that's how we prepare, guys. We do this. And it is because it changes our attitude. The fact that Jesus Christ would come down on earth to say, 
There is an incredible party. I want to invite you. I want to take you to this place. I want to share. He literally says, I want you to share in the joy of your master. I want you to share in this joy, this incredible joy. So he comes down. And instead of the punishment that we should have received, gives us his joy. Saying, I want to take you now into my complete joy. Let's get ready for the party then. Let's get hyped. Let's get psyched for it. And let's do what we need to do to prepare. There is a wish list. He's got it. Boom. He's right there. It's right on Elfster.com. You look at it. Click on Jesus. He goes, boom. He says, help my brethren. It's right. It's not there. Don't look. But I'm saying it's, it's there in the Bible. It's there in the Bible. And that's what we do, guys. And that's what makes it good. And other people will find it attractive. Because there's something real about this. It's not social justice for social justice's sake. It's not so that you're always angry about a social justice issue, which I feel is a true danger to our generation and society. When we see some social justice, injustice happening, immediately we become angry and immediately we have to retweet or put something on media to say, I disagree and I stand against it or I'm going to do something. But it is different, the approach, because even if I were to stand, even if I were to post on social media, the heart has been changed. And Jesus Christ comes down to this earth to be like, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to give you a new heart and new life. And you're going to be born again of the Spirit. And so when I start giving Oh, it's not bad. It feels good. When I start helping, it's not a chore. It feels good. And I see this seed being planted, even if it's one thing. Even if it literally is just two fish and five loaves of bread. We see the Lord do a miracle where he feeds thousands. That's my dream. That's, I believe, a dream that God gave all of us. When he, sees, when he shows us these things, it's not just to be like, boom, look what I can do. But it's like when, he, when, when the disciples went to Jesus and be like, there are all these hungry people. What do we do? You know what Jesus says? Jesus goes, you feed them. He goes, you feed them. Jesus wants us to participate in this, and that's incredible. This wish list isn't just be like, all right, everybody, give me my gifts, give me my gifts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not about that. It's about let's share in the joy. When you prepare in this, you know what you're actually doing? You're sharing in my joy. And the act of giving, the act of serving, the act of giving food, water, shelter, clothes, visiting people in jail, these things become a joyous experience because we are entering into Christ's joy. That's what it means to finally recognize it's not my birthday, but it's Jesus Christ's birthday. That is a party that we've been waiting for all our lives, and that's exciting. That's exciting. See, just I just want to say that we don't know exactly what's going to happen even next week. We don't know. But I will say this to you right now. We do know what's more important. We do know what's most important. That's our hearts and attitudes. And it needs to be given to the Lord. And this Christmas season, I hope 
that we can lift our hearts, our lives, and worship to the King of Kings. Man, it's going to be exciting. We were made to worship. I was made to worship. You were made to worship. Whenever I see something incredible, um, like, you know, it could be on a video in, in, on my phone. When someone goes and he takes two steps and he jumps from, like, practically the free throw line and just yams it on someone that's seven foot six, I can't help but to go, oh, because that's, that's pretty amazing. And I start yelling. And the wife next to me like, what is, what are you doing? You're dumb. Anyway, but, uh, like, like, you'd be like, but you can't help it. It just comes out. When you see something amazing, you're like, oh, but guess what? The King of Kings and Lord, the Lord, the creator of everything is infinitely more amazing than that. When we enter into his joy, and this is just a taste. Sunday is a taste of what's to come. But we enter fully into his joy. We're, we'll all be like, oh, we'll be like that. We'll be psyched. It's going to be real. It's going to be incredible because that's what we were made to do. We were made to see something incredible and respect and worship and be like, oh, that's amazing. That's what Christmas is showing us. It's like you were alone in the darkness. There was nothing there. Every time we try to worship ourselves, that all became less and less and less until we couldn't even enjoy a good yamming. We couldn't. It's just, eh, I could do better. That's what people, we literally started acting like that. And Jesus came down. He opens up that veil, the, those blinders we had in our eyes to see the true glory, the true goodness, the true like love that God wants for us. And he puts it right there for us, for us to receive. I know we're preparing things and we have these gifts, but I, I would say, man, we got the greatest gift first. We got the greatest gift first, and he came down to us in the form of a child, and he was vulnerable and people spit on him, people mocked him, people laughed at him, but he took it. He took it so that we can receive the fullness of his love. And he's saying, you receive the fullness of my love so I can bring you into this joy. This party isn't just some any old party. It's going to be better than the one that, what, that you had in 1999. When you thought I was coming, you said day or hour, you thought in 1999. I said, psych, I changed my plans for that. But to be honest, it is going to be incredible. It's good that we prepare. It's just going to increase our joy. He's just doing it so that we get increased joy and he we give him more glory and he brings us truly into his presence. I hope, CGS, that you're ready. We're ready for the next chapter because it's going to be an incredible chapter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. The things that you show us by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word. The joy that you give us now, but the joy that is promised to us in the future and the knowledge of that, God, we are incredibly thankful for. And we want to respond to the message that we have received. So Lord God, won't you please be with us. Let's take this time to really pray and reflect and meditate on the word that we've been given. And I would like to challenge you, if this Christmas season, for whatever reason, has been a little absent of joy, then won't you give your heart, your attitude, your life to Christ now? 
His desire for you is to have joy, and not just any kind of joy. The Bible says, I have come to give you joy and life to the full. And so let's receive that promise in faith as we pray. Let's pray.